It's very nice to be back here at the Pilgrim Presbyterian Church to share God's word with everyone. Now, today we're going to be looking into, I guess you figured out by this time, every time I come, we're doing Romans, and I just do one verse every time. So we're now on Romans, if you turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. And I believe having covered every verse in Romans chapter 1 up until the one we're going to be looking into today, and that is found in verse number 28. So if you look in your Bibles to Romans 1, 28, um, we can get on the same page with everyone here. And, um, of course, obviously we're looking here in the divine, inerrant, inspired Word of God, the Holy Word of God. And so... What God's Word has to say is important. We want to follow it, obey it. But how can we do this? The only way that we can truly obey God's Word is through the power of the Spirit of God living in us, the Holy Spirit that He gives to us when we receive Christ as our Savior. The Word of God tells us He gives us the Holy Spirit who will now guide us and strengthen us that we can live the Christian life. And so... Not only does the Lord show us what to do, he gives us the power to do it. It's a wonderful thing. And now we have the guideline of how we can serve God. Otherwise, without the guideline, how would we know anything about God? Fallen men, how would we know anything about God Almighty? But wonderfully, he gave us his holy word. He saved us and gave us the spirit of God to help us to understand the word, to interpret it, to live it. And so of God's holy word... We're going to be looking here into verse number uh, 28 and um, see what we have in verse. Let me just read it to you, and then I'll say a couple, couple words about it. So if you look in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, we want to think about this subject here. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now, let's pray over this, first of all, that the Spirit of God will truly be our teacher. Our Father, we ask now that as we look at these words that we have before us now, we ask, O Lord, that your Spirit will be our teacher. I pray that you will minister to the hearts of our hearers here today, that you will touch them with your word. I pray for me that I will get out of the way and have the Spirit of God truly be our teacher Perhaps there are some here today who need a blessing, a word of encouragement. We pray that you'll give that to them. Perhaps there's someone here today who needs to actually repent of sin in their life. We pray that you'll give that to them today. Perhaps there's someone looking for God's plan for their life. We pray that you will grant this today. In other words, O Lord, meet the needs of our congregation here today as we look at just this one word, this one text, yet we know the Spirit of God can do a variety of mighty things in our life. We're looking forward for you to do this. Again, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for keeping us saved. We look forward to being in heaven with you one day, but now we're here that we may serve you. Guide us now that we may have a proper worship service and the preaching part of it, I ask in Jesus' holy name, amen. So we look here in verse number 28. And let's ask some questions about verse 28. Let me read that to you again, and then we can sort of get the feeling of it. So Romans 1, 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. 
Well, if we ask some questions about these 29 words, which were actually taken, if you go back to the Greek text, it was taken from 20 Greek words, but translated into English, it becomes 29 words. And that's all because of the, of the, the verb system in, in the, the Greek text, but that's another story for another day. Uh, so we want to ask some questions. At the, there's many ways of going through the text. Tonight, today I'm going to go through it just simply asking questions and see if we can get, come up with some answers. For example, question number one is, on this text, on verse number 28, the question is, who or what is the subject? What are we talking about here in verse number 28? And we see the text, and it says, even as they, taking that back to the Greek rendering, that is K, kathos. So the word, the, the, the plural pronoun, they, is the subject of this verse. But what about them? Who are the they? Who, who is the they referring to? Now, if you look at that in its context, you have to go all the way back to verse 18, and that word they is referring to the ungodly and the unrighteous. And so we're going to see in our text, our text today, our 28 words today, are dealing with the unsaved population. Now, every day, we, as we go about our text, we, we uh, go about our duties each day, we rub shoulders with believers, and I'm sure we rub shoulders with unbelievers as we meet them, perhaps through business or activities and so forth. Well, this text is about the unbeliever. So you're going to get some insight to those with whom you know, but they don't know the Lord Jesus. And as we look in Scripture, obviously there are many verses about those who know the Lord Jesus, who have been born again, who have heaven as their home, who love the Word of God, but there are numerous verses about the unsaved, those who will never get saved and who will plunge into hell. That's what this verse is about today. So let's keep that in mind as we're looking at this, as we're looking at this text. Now, we saw in verse 18 about the ungodly and the unrighteous, but of course throughout Scripture, the unsaved have different titles. They're referred to as the pagan, they're referred to as reprobates, they're referred to as the infidel, and all these, these are synonyms to those who have not been born again. And Scripture perhaps has even more labels and statements describing them. And there may be someone like this in your family. And think about it. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure we all know those who don't know the Lord Jesus, and we have a burden for them. I hope not, but it may be in your family. Maybe your aunt or uncle or cousin or, God forbid, a brother or a sister. So we all know someone who does not know the Lord Jesus. So that's what this is about. And so keep that in mind. Okay, number two, the second thing I want to share with you about this text is the word retain, R-E-T-A-I-N. For the scripture says they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Again, it's given us information about the unsaved who don't know, and they don't want God in their knowledge. And it says here they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now that word retain is the word echo. Echo, and it means to have, to hold, to hold fast, to keep. This word, retain, is used uh, as we look at Scripture out of the 788,280 words in your King James Bible. This word is used seven times, the word retain or the word echo, coming from the word echo. And so, as we analyze this word... And um, they do not want to retain God in their knowledge. Uh, 
I just want to dramatize the word, to retain, to keep. The unsaved don't want not only to have, but they do not want to keep and retain God's word within them. And I was thinking, what could I do to illustrate the word retain or to keep? And I'm thinking, ah, I got one. So here it is. Um, As I usually do, I have to take it back to my athletic days to try to get a connection here. But here, here it is. To keep or to retain, and you probably, football season, big games coming up now, end of the year, so you may see some things such as this. So you take the ball carrier. So when he's back in the backfield and, and, and the ball's going to get snapped, what does the ball carrier do? He has to make a pocket. And a pocket is getting your hands like this, getting ready to receive the ball. The quarterback will get the ball, and he plants the ball here, in this area, and, now, and then you hold it. And now, of course, you have to run with it. Of course, you want to try something, doing something awkward? Have your hands like this and run. <laughs> it's difficult. It's natural you want to run like this, but you have to run like this. But what, they're, they're holding on. They want to retain the ball. They don't want to lose it. They want to hold on to it and keep it. And that's the thinking here of this text, to retain. And he's saying here they don't want, they don't want the word of God retained in their mind. They don't want this. And so, uh, so we have that situation now. The next thing we want to look at here, and it says this, they did not like to retain not only God, but where do they not want to retain God? They did not want to possess, they wanted to possess a bias against God. This word, not wanting to retain, we can look at it in, in a positive way and tell us what they, what they did want to do. They, did, they possessed a bias against God. Again, that's what this retaining means. They're biased against God. It means that they have a sense of discouragement or even a sour feeling toward God and his people. It means that their countenance falls at the mention of God, Bible, or church. And I'm sure you've seen this. I've seen this happen numerous times where, I'm thinking of a particular person in mind, but this has happened numerous times, where you can be in a conversation with someone and you're doing, and then all of a sudden you bring up the Lord. Maybe you may give him a track or you say something about the Bible or Christ or heaven or hell or something, and you'll notice their whole disposition will change. They're nice and friendly and you're having good conversation until you mention Jesus, or heaven, or hell, and then all of a sudden you say, the countenance will fall. And and in time, they'll begin to get a little defensive and even angry if you you persist on with the things of the Lord. Uh, But this is what happens, because we have here the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, people who do not want to retain the Lord in their heart, they do not want to retain God in their knowledge, this is how they respond. And then talk about the Sabbath day. To us, the Sabbath day is sacred. But to the unbelieving world, it's just another day to play a football game, baseball game, go. And I used to, you know, as a young kid, I would go into Philadelphia and watch the Phillies play, and I'd do it on a Sunday. In fact, I'd go to Sunday school, and then as soon as Sunday school was out, rush out so I could get on a bus to go down into Philly and watch the game and these kinds of things. And, um, you know, not the proper thing to do. And you know what? The Lord always convicted me of doing that. <laughs> I did it anyway for a while, and then I sort of grew out of that stage, you know. But, um, but the Sabbath day, keeping the Sabbath day, that's important for it. But the unbeliever, they mock this. They use the Sabbath day for all of the crazy things that they want to accomplish. 
In other words, the unbeliever, he is quick to rebel, mock, ridicule, gossip against godly things. And in the end, of course, they resist God himself. And that's what this text is all about, the unbeliever. Now, the third thing I want to bring from this text is to analyze the fact that they're blocking God out of what? The unbeliever is blocking God out of what, according to this text? He's blocking God out of their knowledge. They don't want God in their thinking and in their mind. Well, you say knowledge of what? Well, general knowledge, knowledge of their personal existence, knowledge in education, knowledge in culture. They don't want God in the culture. But rather, they would replace God, and they do. They replace God with such crazy ideas as evolution, geological uniformity. They want to keep God out of their relationships uh, and to keep him uh, uh, distant from their life. They cannot permit the unbeliever. Again, this is the center of our text. The unbeliever cannot permit God to exist. So they do all they can to avoid talking about the reality of God and talking about, look at the miracle of creation. You look out these windows, can we see some of creation? You know, the unbeliever doesn't want to talk about this unless he can bring up the crazy lunatic idea of, of atheistic evolution. Other than that, they don't want to talk about how wonderful God's creation is. And so these things must be blocked out. I'm thinking in particular of our, of our public school system in America. You know that it, does have, it has a, a militant hostility toward God. They can't talk about God in, in the classroom. Have to leave him out. And, um, you know, what's that going to do to a, to a population where you keep God out of their life? And they, and they do it in the public school system. They do it with hostility. How silly it would be to talk about God when we don't see God anywhere. And they go on to all this kind of anti-God rhetoric. And so they want to do all they can to eliminate God and so that they can teach their atheistic ideas. Now, what I thought about as I'm putting this together, I'm thinking of the craziness that's going on now. Not wanting to wax political, I don't want to offend anybody on politics, but this is something part of our life, and that is you see the craziness that is going on by the occupant of our White House now giving blessing to same-sex marriage. Could you see more of a perversion than this? Where now he's extolling the glories of a man and a man uniting in marriage, a woman and woman uniting in marriage. And you know what? Look in Scripture. When a culture degrades itself to that extent, where homosexuality is accepted as a normal lifestyle and even praised... That culture is gone. That is when it begins to decay, and look at the Roman Empire. That's what happened there. And you can, there's numerous empires, I had them listed here, I don't have them with me right now, that have fallen when they reached that stage of accepting homosexuality as a legitimate lifestyle. Now, I don't want you to think I'm, I don't want you to become angry and hostile to the homosexual. You want to, you want to, I can't care for how I say this word, but you want to love them to the Lord. Bring them to Christ. So you don't want to go out and say, ah, oh, yeah, home. you don't want to do that. You want to, hey, I know you got a problem. We all have them. You want to try to understand the person and give them the, God, give them the word of God. 
But the bottom line is, obviously, this is something that needs to be forsaken and repented of. And um, so, you know, they're trying to make the president today, trying to make the status of marriage of two men or two women on an equal basis as a regular marriage. I think, I think he passed a law, didn't he, this, this past week to make this occur. Check it out and make sure I'm giving you the accurate details there, but I'm quite sure that's what has happened. Fourth thing I want to make mention of here is God's response to the sinner in this particular verse. And we see the language here, and if we go back to the, to the original language, and there it is, paradokon altus ho theos, meaning that God gave them over. God took this craziness, shall we say, and he's going to give them over. He's going to yield them up. He's going to let them go. God gave them over. Uh, Think of a, how can I illustrate? Well, think of a marriage. Man and wife married together, but something happens. They have difficulties in their marriage, and they're growing further and further apart, and soon they divorce. They come to the point where they say, you know what? What's the use? Let's just go our separate ways. They gave each other over. They let, they, there's no more chance of reconciliation. There's no effort. We just go our separate ways. They gave each other over. And that, in this text, that's what the Bible is saying that the God did to the unsaved. He gave them over. He let them go. But what did he give them over to? You see, the fifth thing I want to share from this verse, God gave them over to what? He gave them over to a reprobate mind. But that's a serious statement. God giving mankind over to a reprobate mind. Well, what is a reprobate mind? And it comes from the word adamokon noon. And it means that which is, that which is unapproved, that which is worthless, that which fails the test, it includes perversion in their thinking, in their action, and in their goals. It's a reprobate mind. A definition is that when God takes his hand off the sinner's mind and permits them to plunge headlong into sin and eventually all the way into hell. God takes his hand. You see, God's hands is on you. And even sinners walking the street who do not believe upon the Lord Jesus, yet God has a little restraining force. But there does come a time when God will even take the restraining force off and you go full-headed right into a, a life of misery and of sin. Let me give you some examples from the Bible. Luke chapter 19 and verse 14. And there you have those famous statement, that famous statement, we will not have this man to reign over us. Now that's given in the form of a parable, but that's what the person in the parable says. He's making the point making the point of the mindset of the unbeliever. Their staunch resistance against God, and they say, we will not have this man, meaning the Lord Jesus, will not have this man to reign over us. We're not going to do it. That's the mindset of the reprobate. That's the mindset of this person that we're making reference to today. Another example coming from Matthew chapter 10 and verse 4, speaking about Judas and his betrayal. And as we look at Judas and as he betrayed the Lord Jesus, that was an example of a reprobate mind, the subject of our text today. But Judas 
exemplifies what a reprobate mind is all about and what it does. We have Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Probably some of you have memorized this. Jeremiah 17, 9. If you know it, say it with me. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Did you ever meditate on that verse there? And that's a statement about the human heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. And des- look at that language. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? And you know the only one who knows the human heart is right here. But if you put the word of God down and then you try to figure out the human heart, you're going to be so confused. But with, wonderfully, the Lord has information and he guides us in these, in these matters. But yet that's seven, Jeremiah 17, 9. So we're talking about the human heart and, all the, and, and the heretic and the, the reprobate mind. But guess what happened, though? When we're talking about all this, these things haven't happened to you. You're here in a church. You're here loving the Lord Jesus. You're here with your Bibles in hand and quoting Scripture and studying the Word of God. So these things have not happened to you, but it happens to many people. I'm thinking of the verse when I think of you and how the Lord uh, has preserved us. Think of uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verse 4. 1 Peter 1, 4. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And what that is saying, that the reason you don't fall into these things is because the Lord keeps us. Did you notice that word? Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. The Lord has kept us But if the restraining force of the Holy Spirit did not keep us close to the Lord, we would be out wandering around like the reprobate. But thanks by the wonderful hand of God and the power of God, he keeps us from all of that. And that's why, quite honestly, that's why we're here today. That's why you're not in bed sleeping or doing something else, but you're here worshiping the Lord because the Lord has kept you from the evil one, kept you from the ways of the world. And we know that he will continue to do that. And that's, that's our joy. Yet, as I say, there are others who once knew the Lord. Now think about this. I bet every one of you, as I say, my next couple statements will think of someone. A face will come into your mind when I say this. There were no doubt someone who you have known, who you had Christian fellowship with, who perhaps were part of the church, but now you look around, we haven't seen Bob in six weeks. Where's Bob? And this will occur. They were active and part of the church, but now they're no longer serving the Lord, and you don't see them. You don't hear about them. What happened? And you never hear about What happened here? What that really means, I believe I would interpret that as someone who is active in the church, and then they're gone, and it's not that they're going to another church. They're, just, they're not serving the Lord. They're not living for the Lord. I believe the Scripture tells us that person was never saved to begin with. They can have, you know, there's a difference between having a religious chill, a religious excitement, and being saved. And sometimes there are those who are in a church periodically, 
And sometimes they can busy here doing this, doing that, and then they're just gone. And that occurs sometimes because they do get sucked into the church or brought in, but their heart has never been circumcised. They really never bought into it. They wanted to and they whatever, and, and, they're, and they're gone. So these things happen too. And this happens what? To a reprobate mind. And so we see the sad statement here of our text, where therefore God gave them over. And that's the biblical, that's this explanation. Now, I, I bet if, you, if mankind was writing the Bible, you know, as, as the heretics like to tell us, well, God didn't write the Bible, man wrote the Bible, and, you know, something he made up. But you know what? If man wrote the Bible, they would not have this thing about the heretic, where it says that God gave them over. That, that's a harsh reality. But that's the truth of the God who is there, the God who exists. I, I used that phrase. I didn't mean to use it, but that's a good phrase. The God who is there. Where did I get that statement from? Does that sound, does that ring a bell to anyone? The God who is there. I'm saying that maybe 20 years ago, Francis Schaeffer wrote a best-selling book called The God Who Is There, <laughs> and as apologist for the Christian faith. Uh, but we're getting back to this here. We're going to find here that God did give them over. He will, the God that exists will, and allows man to go his own stubborn, independent way all the way into hell. Psalm 5.22, his own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden by the cords of his sins. Again, just a discussion about those who don't know the Lord. Now they, now, and you know what? The unbeliever shows himself in different ways. Sometimes they show themselves in the church. They never really gravitate to the thought. They're just there. They may like the social aspect of it, and maybe they like the, the flowery words the pastor uses, or what, but their heart has never been saved, never, ever been, never been circumcised. These things do happen. Well, as we look at this text, this sixth point I want to bring out is the result of the reprobate mind. Our text tells us and says a statement about what does the reprobate mind do, looking at the language of our text, to do those things which are not convenient. Karathekante is the word convenient, and it means to be, to be unfit, to be improper. To be unfit or to be improper. And I thought, how can I explain this to you, to be unfit? Now, this, this is, we're using this kind of language here, that, and, and we're looking at the word inconvenient. They do these things which are not, or which are not convenient. What does that word convenient mean? As I already said, it means unfit or improper. Now, I'm thinking, as I was going over this and preparing, how can I dramatize that point? And I thought, aha, as I'm getting dressed this morning and thinking about it, aha, I know what I can do. Excuse me a second. Oh, oh the microphone's here, right? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. See my shirt that I have on? I wore this specially for this. I could give this illustration. I haven't worn this shirt for quite a while. And there's a reason why I don't wear this shirt. So I go like this. You see where my sleeve is? This sleeve should be here. You see how it's too short? It's un, it's un, if I go this way here, look, it should be 
like that. Now, we're all different, but I know if I put a shirt on, it's like a white shirt, it's bothersome to me, I don't, but anyway. But you see, it's unfit. It's not doing the job that really it was meant to do. It's unfit, and that's the word that we're seeing right here in our text, to do those things which are not convenient, meaning they're doing those things which are un, unfit, things which are, which are improper. And this, again, is giving us information about this reprobate. And yet, God permits the depraved mind to pursue its own agenda, leading to its own ruination. God permits this. I mean, we're learning something about But you know what? Here's the good news. God did not permit it in your life. And he did not permit it in my life. Now, I must tell you, I deserve to be cast into hell. I can tell you, I deserve that, but God didn't give it to me. And guess what? You deserve it too. But he rescued us. He rescued you. And he's kept you. And he will keep you. And you will make it all the way to heaven because of his power in your life. Not because of you, because of him. And that's why we're here today, because of him. Because in our state of mind, we are depressed. And in our, or depraved. In our depraved mind, we will pursue our own agenda, leading to its own ruination. And I think of the proverbial hamster. Now, I'm thinking maybe first grade, second grade, our teacher had a hamster in a cage. You probably all had this, right? Had that little rat-like creature in a cage run. You know. And, you know, in, in that, if you can reflect on that, the, the little hamster's in the cage, and, of course, there's a wheel, and he gets in that wheel and runs. Okay? At the end of the day, you have to get either a ruler or a pencil and put it in that cage and in that wheel so the wheel can't turn. Because that hamster, if it's left alone, it'll run itself to death. That's what they do. They just, they just run, run and, until they die. And you have to give them some kind of protection or they'll, they'll run until they kill. But you know, man is the same way. Man per, per, will produce, per, pursue sin, pursue sin until his total ruination is complete. That's the nature of unsaved man. Proverbs 23, 7 tells us, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Think about your thought life. And here we're talking about the unsaved, those who do not have the Holy Spirit in them, those who are not believers. We're looking at this creature. And if left to himself, he will pursue himself all the way to death in his activities. And the scripture explains, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And you know what? You are a... Example of an example, I should say, an example of this. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Look at this. You thought to be here today. It was in your conscious, in your plan. And here you are. Why? Because the Lord has done something to you. But there are many thousands, millions out there who are not going to be going to a church today. Why? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Without the Spirit of God in his life, without the Word of God in his life, he's going to go out and pursue his own ruination, just like the hamster. He will run in the... In the cage and run and run and run and run in a cage of sin until he dies. Because that's what sin does to, to mankind. Now, you know, I'm thinking as I'm talking now, maybe, maybe the Spirit of God's talking to somebody here today. Maybe you can, I mean, you're saved, you love the Lord, but, you know, we're, we're, we are human beings, we make mistakes, we're frail, we, we, we make, make errors in judgment and action and so forth. Maybe there's somebody here today who has a problem of a sin in your life. You love the Lord Jesus, you're saved, but you're not perfect. And maybe you're allowing a particular sin or whatever in your life or attitude or something that you know is not right, but you tolerate it. And you know what? You really should get rid of it. 
because you are the child of God. You are his representative. And if you have sin, it's going to slow you down and bind you up. You want to get rid of that. You know, I'm thinking of 1 John 1, 9. I think you all know this. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we close in just a minute, I'm going to you know, invite you to do that. Think about your life. Review your life. And if there is sin, thought, word, or deed, sin in your life, maybe there's someone in your life you haven't, they've offended you and you haven't forgiven them yet and you're still holding this grudge. You know, holding a grudge will destroy you if you hold it long enough. And what, what comes into your mind when I say that, that, that verse? Does a sin or a, a attitude or a problem with the Lord come into your life, come into your thoughts? If we confess our sins, here's the, he, he, if we confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I know I've given this to you before. I'm going to give it to you again. Here's Don Britton. Here's, here's my sins. The Bible says when the Lord went to the cross, he came to take my sins on himself so that I have how many sins to pay for? None. Saying, I don't have any sin. Why? Not that I'm not a sinner. I am a sinner. I'm a sinner by nature and by choice, and so are you. But the Lord, as we receive the Lord into our life, confess our sin, Jesus takes our sin and pays for it on the cross as he's on that bloody cross in agony. Your sin and mine is adding to his pain and discomfort so that I and you, all who believe in him, can go to heaven and have the gift of, receive the gift of eternal life. And that's what this whole book is about, really. But, you know, it's really about that little illustration I just gave you. All of these 1,189 chapters 31,102 verses, 788,280 words, 3,556,480 letters of your King James letter, of your King James Bible, is all about, primarily, it's all about this. Christ took our sins on himself, that we can be forgiven of our sins and have a home in heaven. I'm hoping and trusting that everybody in here has, has done that, but you know what? I don't know your heart. I can see what you show and demonstrate, and it's a lovely thing. That's why Vicki and I look forward to the third Sunday of the month to come here to be with you people and just to fellowship. We enjoy it, and it's a, it's a delightful thing. But make sure you know the Lord Jesus Christ, and if there's something in the way, I'm going to close in a prayer in, in a few moments to give you an opportunity to talk to the Lord about these matters. I'm talking about... Grace. God saves us by his grace. And how do we spell grace? G-R-A-C-E. But you know, grace is also an acronym. It's an acronym. It can be an acronym. From, here's the acronym of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Right? G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's what we have. Those who are in the Lord Jesus, I'm assuming you all are, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you in anything, but I'm, I'm, I try to, I don't know your heart, I know mine, I know Vicky's, well, in fact, I'm not trying to know Vicky's accent, no, I'm just kidding. But um, Christ, God's riches at Christ's expense, it was a wonderful thing, what the Lord has done for us. So how do I conclude this? It's simply by, again, reviewing our, our, our text here today of 27 English words, 
taken from 20 Greek words that we find in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And from it we learn this. Number one, we learn the plight of the unsaved. We see the danger that they're in. And number two, we understand the mercy that God had upon us, that we can believe in him and serve him and love him and receive many blessings of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as I conclude, I would just simply say, make sure you know the Lord Jesus. If you have any doubt, come to the Lord today. You can do it right now. Talk to him in prayer. Let's do that. Let's close in a prayer and talk to our Lord about our own condition. Our Father, we want to give you thanks that we're here today in a New Testament church. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that we have received as a result of not only being saved, but being able to fellowship with other Christians. And thank you for bringing us, and every Lord's Day, here we come to be together and to learn of you, to share you, to celebrate you. And it's a glorious thing. And yet, oh Lord, I would ask, only you know this. Is it possible that there may be someone here today who is not yet born again? They could be, they could be friendly, joyful, cooperative, enjoyable to be around, and yet the heart not circumcised. Oh, Father, I ask that if that condition does exist here, I don't know, I have no idea. I'm talking, you know, and I'm asking now, should there be someone here in that condition? We ask that you may save them even now. And so what I'm saying here, my good friends, if you've never received Christ into your life, why don't you do it right now? What do I have to do? To be, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Believe in the Lord. What? The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He resurrected. He offers the gift of eternal life to any miserable wretch who will receive him by faith. Would you not do that? Yes, Lord, I believe you died for me, and I want you as my Savior and my Lord. My dear friend, if you would do that today, you will be born again. The Word of God will come alive to you, and you'll enter into a wonderful life. Even on this sinful planet, you will still have a wonderful life. And then, Father, we do pray for those, and it may be the whole congregation, who do know you and love you. We ask for your blessing on this church. We know that it stands for the Word of God. We pray for Tim and the board and the leadership that you will guide them, call down your blessing on this church, have your way in it, that the word of God will go forth, sinners will get saved, and the Lord Jesus gets all the glory. Now we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.